Now, the greatest story never told with Miles and Thrill. Oh, welcome once again to the Greatest Story Never Told podcast. Episode number 68. As we were saying, so close. <laughs> so, so, so close. So close to the all-important next episode. I wonder what we'll talk about on the next episode. On 69? Yeah. I got no ideas. I don't either. Yeah. yeah. We'll think about that. Right, exactly. Well, I'm sure we'll come up with something. Uh, welcome uh, once again to the Greatest Story Never Told podcast. Uh, again, if you'd like to be an unofficial sponsor, we haven't had one here in the last few episodes, so jump on in. Donate 15, 20 bucks to the three local Fisher houses in the area, and you too can be an unofficial sponsor of the Greatest Story Never Told podcast. If you have your own podcast going on, you want to promote that, you got a business, whatever the deal is, you want to sell some Girl Scout cookies, we don't care. Uh, <laughs> if you want to be a sponsor, just shoot us an email, give some money to the uh, the three Fisher houses. Okay, um, as we are uh, here in uh, celebrating 50 years of KISW, we had our uh, big birthday celebration Month and a half ago, somewhere in there, but February twelfth. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was very cool, and we got a chance to to sit down and talk to a lot of people that uh, were legendary here, not only at uh, KISW, but people that you know from Seattle. What in the hell is that? Sorry, that's my email. Oh, well, you got an email. You got an email. Yeah. Who, uh, you, you know, just uh, people who grew up on the radio station, who you know from from other walks of life. You know, some Seahawks were on with BJ and Migs and, and other things. But either way, we got a chance to talk to Dave Grohl. Which was cool because Dave Grohl is exactly who you think Dave Grohl is going to be. And it was cool because it was on Zoom. So you physically yeah. got to look at this guy as you, as you had a conversation. We, uh, we had a great conversation with him. We played for him when he was on the air here at KISW when they announced that he was going to be the new drummer in the band Nirvana. It was on David Stewart's show. And it was, I mean, it sounded like he was 10. The look on his face when he... When he heard it, was, he was mortified. He was, I wish yeah. people could have seen right. yeah. his yeah. physical reaction to hearing his right. voice, man. He was, yeah, mortified is the word. Got to talk to uh, Gary Crow. Got to talk to Mike West. Uh, we talked to Steve Slayton. So we got to talk a lot of old KISW old school stories of when radio was fun and cool. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was groupies and backstage stuff. And, you know, people were going nuts at concerts and it was kind of that sex, drugs, and rock and roll era. That's exactly what it was. Of uh, Precisely that. It was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Oh, and booze. Yeah. And right now we don't have any sex, really, because of the pandemic. And drugs are hard to get uh, because of the pandemic. And rock and roll just basically come to a stop because you can't really do any shows. Yeah, the pandemic's ruined everything. And he's not kidding about the drugs. I'm mm-hmm. telling you. Your normal drug dealers are like, hey, man, you know, yeah. demand's down, flow is low. Rain Wilson joined us. You know him from uh, The Office, among other things. UW grad, grew up listening to KISW. Exactly what you expect. Now, on the flip side of that, we also got a lot of names that we kind of knew, some names that we didn't know. But either way, whenever you see those big names, like Rain Wilson or you know whoever it's going to be, Dave Grohl, you're, you're excited to do the interview because... You have a respect for this person one way or another. You might be a fan of theirs in many different ways, you know, and that, and that happens a lot. But they're, they're still there to talk to you, which is weird because in an interview, you've interviewed someone for maybe 10, 15 minutes. You think maybe you kind of know them a little bit more. Ultimately, though, they don't remember you. Of course not. They don't know who in the hell you are. No. You know what I mean? They don't have any recollection of it. They, they probably did 15 interviews that day on some kind of a junket for whatever, the new album, the new movie, the new book, the new whatever. That's why all the interviews are so stupid. Not ours, but people always ask the same. Like, I always say, man, don't ask, if a band puts out a new album, don't ask them what they think of the album, because they're not going to do anything other than tell you, hey, we're mm-hmm. real proud yeah. of this. But you already know the answer. Right. What do you think they're going to say? Frankly, we hate this album. We think it sucks. Yeah. His guitar, they're not going to tell you that. So why even ask? Uh, I will say this. As far as setting up the interviews for the 50th anniversary, we were excited to talk to Dave Grohl. 
We never talked to him before. We had never talked to him before, but then apparently he was not initially excited to talk to us. Is that right? Not for anything about us, but he has talked to Ryan Castle several times, so they are familiar with each other. And somehow the information got to his agent, bookie, whatever you call this person, that that Ryan Castle was going to be doing the sit-down. So Dave Grohl is prepared to be comfortable with this guy he's used to. And I guess when we rolled in, he's kind of like... Well, F for these guys, right? So it took like 10 minutes, but it got worked out. And he was gracious. He was awesome. Yeah. I don't think he cared. I think it was more his publicist. Sure. Well, she was like anything not else. having it at first, but finally it, it settled but, down. But there's always, like, nothing is ever just easy or normal. You but know, we're I, fired up about it. Hell yeah. We're, we're excited about it. And sometimes we're excited about stuff, and sometimes we're not. And we've never interviewed uh, Aerosmith before. But then when he got a ch- we got a chance to interview Joe Perry. Now, he was playing with the Hollywood Vampires at the time. Sure. And they were in what's uh, in in in. We were fired up because if you grew up listening to Aerosmith, you really loved that band. It's a legendary guitar yeah, player. Yeah, this and is I Joe freaking here's, Perry. Here's from just Aerosmith. a little. Here's a little. Just to give you an idea, this was so painful for us, and maybe you can't hear it in this, but we're we're dying. This is this is at least six seven minutes in of him just going. Joe Perry. It's kind of a mind blower, you know, uh, and uh, so we're gonna have that. Uh, uh, this this one of the songs we're gonna. Uh, uh, put on uh, the cover of uh, Classic Rock magazine and give it away for free, or uh, um, you know, put the CD on there, and uh, so people can hear what uh, kind of get a taste of what solo record's going to sound like. And uh, also, it never gets better. Uh, this is back to that Guitar World interview you're talking about. You know, yeah, right? it's yeah. just like, dude, come on. What man. kind of strings do you play, Joe? I use Diodario light gauge nickel plated. Who cares? Right. Those frets, are they custom frets? I see that they look like they have a shiny surface on them. But dear God, man. It was they, a painful interview. Inlays, who does that pearl work for you? Oh, yeah. We so were anyway, disappointed. Right. We were like that. Yeah. We were excited about this. Come on, Joe. And then we got that. And we had to deal with that, right? So, okay, so we also Again, got to... it's like sitting next to a guy on a Greyhound bus that you didn't mean mm-hmm. to, and he doesn't shut up the whole ride. Right. We're excited to talk to Jolene because we used to work with her every day. We haven't seen her in a while because she moved out of state. Mm-hmm. A number of people. And then, to be honest with you, a lot of the legendary uh, guys who were uh, DJs back on the, in the days, we never really had a chance to sit down and have a heart-to-heart with them either or just any kind of discussion. I went out one night and got absolutely hammered with Steve Slayton, but we weren't talking about radio. <laughs> right. We were just getting smashed at a bar. So that was, you know, I mean, it wasn't like a, a radio geek-out conversation. But uh, th- there was one name on the list, all right? So this is a weird one because we're like, all right, well, this guy – he was a part-timer uh, back in the day at KISW. He did some promotions, started out like a lot of people do in radio where you kind of work your way in the door, and then after mm-hmm. that maybe they give you a board hopping job or an air shift here and there, and that's kind of where this guy, Andy, was. He was a part-timer, and he worked at, started out on the overnights, and he did promotions at concerts and things like that, but we're like, all right, well, you know, we know all these names. Right, I've never heard of this, this guy, guy. This guy is And a, then his body of experience here. You know, everyone else we're talking to, like you said, either it's a luminary within the music industry mm-hmm. or they worked at KISW for right. a significant amount of time. And then here's this guy. And we're, we're, we see his name and we see his connection to KISW, which is like overnight board up. Yeah. And good, but we're like, what do you want us to talk to this guy about? Because we're like, mm-hmm. was he on the air? They're like, no, nah, he wasn't on the air. Okay, well. Like, did he sit in with Slayton or anything like that? No, no, no. He just he yeah, ran the board overnight. Did, okay. got, did an air shift or so. Then he moved out of town, started a, worked at a different radio station, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, but out of all the interviews we did, honest to God, as far as being interesting, 
This guy was the most interesting guy that we sat down and talked with. And, and it was when, awesome. And, and I actually bitched to Castle. I said, hey, who in the F is this? And <laughs> right. like, Why in the F do you want us to interview this guy? <laughs> right. I, mean, like, I mean, like, seriously, we got to get a show ready. You're like, what the hell's going on here? He's like, no, yeah, whatever. Just, just, yeah. And I'm like, all right. So I started doing my interview and I'm like, I started doing the, the, the research about this guy. And I looked down and I'm like, holy sh. I didn't know. I, I didn't know. I didn't know who this guy was. Right. And I think when it comes to, hell, we call this thing the greatest story never told. You've never heard of this guy. Right. You don't know who he is. But as far as what his story is, it is one of the greatest stories I think I've heard just from a standpoint of just what this guy's done in our industry and who he is and the kind of things I was that, blown away. that he has done. So what we didn't get a chance to, to give you all of the conversation that we had with one Andy Schoen, but we wanted to uh, get it uh, so you could hear the, the entire conversation with him now because it, it, it's he's a fascinating guy. And you will realize that whether you know who this guy is or not, you know everything this guy has done. Yeah. So we'll see you next time on uh, episode uh, number uh, 69 oh, of the Greatest boy. Story Never Told podcast. But we'll leave you with uh, uh, our interview with Andy Schoen. I know you're going to like it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as we celebrate 50 years here at uh, KISW, 50 years in the community, 50 years of rock, which is an amazing feat uh, for any radio station. Uh, Steve, there have been some household names, uh, everything from, you know, you've heard of Crow and West. Sure. You've heard of Steve Slayton. Correct. Uh, BJ and Miggs right. in the morning. Uh, you know, there, there's been so many. Bob Rivers. One name that you might not know is Andy Schoen, but Andy might be more important than anybody <laughs> who has ever been a part of the KISW history. Uh, Andy, uh, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us for the birthday celebration. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I was just thinking the opposite, that you guys must be really desperate for um, guests if you're interviewing a former late-night weekend DJ. To from be the stadium. fair, so, we Andy, are. Andy, I appreciate <laughs> Andy, Andy, when they sent us this thing, we have to be honest with you. I mean, just like anybody else, yeah. when you don't recognize yeah. the name right off the bat. Now, people in the industry, in yeah. the entertainment, they know exactly who you are. But the everyday person in Seattle, right. maybe not so much. So, you know, same with us. We said, well, I wonder why we're interviewing someone who was only here for a short amount of time, but got their start here. Right, and, but then board hopping overnight, and we're like, right. uh, okay. Yeah. And, and then we, we look and look at this resume of yours. Like, holy Dude, crap! It wasn't board hopping. I had my own show. Oh, all right. I, I was okay. board hopping. I got, I got to talk like three times an hour. Okay, well, that's not bad. <laughs> what kind of bands were you playing at the time? That, uh, what years was it? Year was it that you were here? Uh, right after I graduated from high school in the, uh, in, uh, in late, it was late 1982. I started right around the holiday between 82 and 83. Okay. And, and at that point in time, when you got this job, KISW was the number one station in town. This is the rock station where you can get tickets, By man. Block. You're like, right. you're almost like, you know, like Damone in Fast Times at Ridgemont <laughs> High. Like you're the guy that can get right. people in the door. You know what I mean? You got tickets, you got right. pull. Uh, was this one of those things where as a kid and being in that environment, I mean, you had to think to yourself, I'm going to do this. This is what I want to do for a living. Something like this. Yeah, I'd already been doing it for a living for a couple of years. I lived kind of an almost famous, if you know the movie, that kind of childhood. I'd been, started on the radio in a commercial station at age 16, and I'd been the morning man on my on my local station in Reno, Nevada before coming up to Seattle. So I'd already okay. kind of experienced, you know, Grace Slick gave me my first beer backstage at oh. a Jefferson Starship concert. You know, I mean, wow. I'd already kind of had all these experiences as a young kid. So, um, but I was a good kid, kind of a clean cut preppy kid. I didn't have like the, the Jesus uh, hair and the handlebar <laughs> mustache of the late 70s and early 80s. 
you know, I looked like a kid that would be on the tennis team from high school, but I was working at these powerful rock stations, which is kind of funny in retrospect. Did you find that more people gravitated to you because of that? Because you did not look like you said, you know, the quintessential rock star, the crazy hair. It's like this clean cut kid, but you're working in a world of rock. Yeah, well, it was, I think that at my first job where I got my break down in Reno, um, the program director just liked my hustle and the fact that I came in and kind of had an unofficial internship and really just wanted to to learn everything. I was so passionate about it. And then when I reached out to Bo Phillips, who was the program director of KISW at the time, the reason why I was able to get the job was, uh, and you guys might know this, there used to be like a trade magazine and you would go to the back and there'd be the classified ads. <laughs> and this ad said, and I, I spent time in Port Angeles outside of Seattle, about 90 minutes outside of Seattle growing up before we lived down in Nevada. And so I loved and idolized KISW and it was literally one of the best stations in the country. Um, and so I thought one day if I could work there, so I was familiar with it. So I see this ad for a weekend DJ and it says, send tape and resume, no calls. <laughs> and so the first thing I did at the station where I worked was I went into the production room and turned on the mic. Uh, so that it said on air, the light was flashing. So nobody would come in. I picked up the phone uh, and I called Bo Phillips at KISW and they put me through to him and he answered. And I said, I wanted to give him my tape. And he said, great. Um, and I said, I said, it, it says no calls, but I thought if you really wanted something, how could you not call? Uh, and so uh, that's how it started. And I, he liked my hustle as well. And he admitted years later uh, that he had never listened to my tape. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, Isn't that the way it goes? Night, so. Yeah, that's yeah. and that's and it's, I showed up at the KISW headquarters at the time with a with a briefcase and my cassette and a banana and like some headphones <laughs> yeah. and I was ready to go, you know. <laughs> that's all it took. There's a there, there's a story about how uh Bo uh who was the program director at the time uh put you in charge of some yeah. tickets I guess for uh, the police as they were playing the Tacoma yeah. Dome and it, what exactly did you mess this up or or what was the deal on that? Yeah. Well, I didn't have a lot of money. Uh, you know, I was working about eight hours a week, and that was my only job up there. And so I didn't have any extra money. And I love the police. I think this was the synchronicity tour, most likely, at the Tacoma Dome with the Thompson Twins and somebody else, maybe Flock of Seagulls or something. That's sweet. That sounds like um, a great show. That was a good lineup, right? But the police, you know, was you know huge at the time, and so uh, I mentioned to Bo that I would love to go to see the police show if there were any extra tickets, and he said I could have his tickets, and so my girlfriend and I went out the, to the Tacoma Dome, and back then, you know, this they didn't even ask for ID; you just had to know who to ask for, you know, who to who to mention at the at the will call box. And so I went up there and I said, "Hi, Bo Phillips," and they handed me an envelope, and inside the envelope was eight tickets and uh eight backstage passes and so i was like oh my god we have six extra tickets and the show was far beyond sold out right and so uh, i thought well i could really use the cash from that every single person was coming up to us asking if we had any extra tickets and they were general admission tickets and so it wasn't like there was you know, they were assigned seating at that time. I and mean, a lot of shows back then were GA. Sure. And so I said, I would feel badly if we made a profit on these, but you know, what's the harm of selling them? You know, we should give them away and say they're from KISW, but I could really use the cash. Why don't we sell them for face value? Um, and I won't feel so badly about it. And so in about 30 seconds, 
we sell these six tickets and probably net about 150 bucks or something. I mean, tickets are probably $20 then, you know? Um, so we get, I mean, I'm now rich at this point. I'm right. going to a rock concert with backstage passes with my girlfriend and I'm rich. Now I've got 150 bucks in my pocket. <laughs> and then around the corner comes the rest of the KISW full-time air staff. Oh, and no. they say, hey, Andy, Bo said you've got our oh. tickets. No. Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> and I just about blacked out because I just had visions of maybe getting a job on an AM country station. And so I quickly oh, said, knowing that they were GA tickets, I said, ah, there weren't any tickets in there, but there were these backstage passes. And they grabbed the passes, put them on their, their pants, and we walked in. To the concert and that was it and i so i dodged a bullet because it turns out in a general admission show if you got the passes and the tickets it's kind of redundant so i really wow. my career almost ended in a split second over 150 <laughs> damn. bucks damn that is incredible that that is incredible talking to andy show andy then you went uh you programmed a number of radio stations once you uh once you left the seattle area i believe you went to, to san antonio for a while uh, you yeah. ended up at uh, KROQ, the legendary rock station in, in Los Angeles eventually. I know you put on the Kevin and Bean show. You put Love Line on at night, uh, mm -hmm. hoping to get that, you know, that, that next day return of people waking up. Some very, as far as the world of radio goes, and some of the things that you put into place from how we listen to how we digest things, uh, you were responsible for that. And the idea was, was that you put on a show at night like Love Line that people love, and then they're going to wake up the next day and the radio is going to be on. Uh, the same station, right. and you're going to listen to the new morning show, Kevin and Bean. I mean, the, the, as far as what we know of our industry. That's the standard. The, these are some legendary moves that, that you made, and I know mm. you don't think of it that way. but, it, but Or do you? I mean, yeah, all you, the days work, right? Yeah, mm. but, but. I mean, did you feel that you were being innovative at the time you were doing it, or was it honestly just, hey, I like this show, Love Line, or I like Kevin and Bean, or did you really have a system in place where you thought, you know what, you wake up tomorrow, you're still on my station? Yeah, I, I'll tell you, um, most people don't realize this. And if you, you know, K-Rock is, you know, the defining music station probably in the world and, you know, famous, known to be world famous. Um, and so when I make this comparison, people would think, you know, it sounds like a sellout or it sounds sort of counter to what the K-Rock brand would be. But just structurally, when I got down to Los Angeles, where I'd had great success in Denver at another rock station that was very similar to KISW in format, K-Rock was an alternative station called Rock of the 80s, and it played really, at the time, what was known as K-Rock music, which was, you know, largely Depeche Mode and The Cure and okay. Tears for Fears right. and bands like that. Um, and so, <clears throat> but the station had never really had a powerful morning show, and it was up against some iconic people in Southern California, um, a guy named Scott Shannon, who'd created a station called Z100, a big famous station. Rick Dees, who was a fairly well-known national DJ sure. on a station called Kiss there. Uh, Rick Thomas, uh, who, had, um, uh, who had been on... Uh, uh, who'd been on Mork and Mindy and a bunch of other things. So, so, I mean, just big personalities. We didn't have a morning show. And so I got down there and tried to figure out what we would do to succeed. And I actually used NBC, the network, as kind of the structure. And I'll tell you what that means. I thought, you know, the NBC has the Today Show where people wake up. They have the Tonight Show that people go to bed with. And then they have the Olympics as like a quarter-long stunt that gets everybody excited about, you know, the network. Right, right. Um, and so for us, Loveline became The Tonight Show with Dr. Drew and ultimately Adam Carolla and Ricky um, Rackman and others. Kevin and Bean became The Today Show <laughs> and yep. The Acoustic Christmas, the first radio station 
winter, you know, Christmas festival, the K Rock Acoustic Christmas, which, you know, preceded all these other jingle balls and, you know, winter concerts that stations do, um, that became our Olympics. And we used that for the fourth quarter. And so all that stuff just kind of worked. And was then, it a hard sell when you, because radio is sometimes slow to innovate, so to speak. So was it a tough sell or did people trust your judgment on this? My boss at K Rock and Mel Carmazin, who was the <clears throat> chairman and CEO of Infinity Broadcasting, we were the flagship station for them. You got to remember, I'm a 24 year old, 25 year old kid, probably um, on my second job in programming at the flagship station for Infinity <laughs> Broadcasting, um, and <laughs> which is now, I guess, the you know the parent company of your. It was CBS yeah. and now Intercom, right? Right. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so I'm down there, and he had just paid more money than anyone had ever paid <clears throat> for a radio station. $45 million at the time it was unheard of. And then they put me in there and I'm coming up with all these crazy ideas and they all kind of worked. So That's I right. got, there was a little bit of luck and timing, but, but, but we but had then, some momentum early on. But then Andy, we're talking to Andy Schoen, you went to uh, to New York and a lot of people don't know this. And, and I don't know if this is the right context to put this in, but when you went to MTV, you left that job for the, for the gig at MTV, uh, where you're the head of programming for MTV2, VH1 and all that stuff. You took the music off of music television. So you went in from spite a format. Of the M representing right, music. Exactly. Right. You, you went in, in, in because of that, you know, you put on like Beavis and Butthead and stuff. And then from there, when you look at the entire evolution of where things have gone from that point and what MTV has done as far as Jersey Shore, all these shows, basically in an indirect way, you and OJ Simpson are responsible for the Kardashians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I did do the first ever celebrity reality show, and it was actually with Dennis Rodman, and it was called the Rodman World Tour. And I gave him a bag of money in the <laughs> in the Bulls offseason at the peak of – uh, of his career with the Bulls when he was dating Madonna and all that. I'm sure the Bulls <laughs> loved you for that. <laughs> yeah, we needed a we needed a like a midseason replacement at MTV. We were having some ratings trouble, and so I went out to Orange County where Dennis was living in the off season to meet with him, and uh, offered him some money if we could follow him around with some cameras for ten episodes, uh, which we did. And boy, that was a journey into darkness for me. Just Dennis and I going to Las Vegas for a weekend. Oh, I have to tell you something. I bet you could. Um, th that's a whole other separate chat. That's coming up next. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so so that was the first ever of these celebrity reality shows where you would inject, you know, some sort of plot line, like let's go Harley drive riding with Jay Leno or let's go to right, Las Vegas right. or whatever, you know, and that's, that's what these things were like. So yeah, that was the first of it. But truth, truthfully, um, in my time at MTV in the 90s, which is kind of considered the golden era when it was its most influential, um, what I brought to a channel that was sort of uh, pumping out the sediment from the bottom of the hairband tank of the late 80s, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I was lucky, this is where timing and luck comes in, is that I had Nevermind from Nirvana under one arm and I had The Chronic from Dr. Dre under the other. So we were able to usher in an era of and bring really, really mainstream hip hop music and alternative rock 
uh, on MTV as a platform, and it really worked. And of course, there was so much depth there so fast with Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains and Soundgarden and Dre and Snoop and Tupac and Biggie and Puffy and all of those guys. And so that really was the music credibility foundation for MTV. And then we balanced it out with House of Style and sports and MTV right. News and Unplugged. And yes, more and more original programs um, about you know, like Beavis and Butthead. But the truth is Beavis and Butthead was a bit of a, was was a strategy to get people to talk about music videos again because the novelty had really kind of worn off. You know uh, what? That, okay. that makes sense. Now that you say it right, out loud, exactly. I like, feel oh. like a fool for not getting that. But I'm like, <laughs> but, but think about, you know, the impact of that because I'm, I'm sure there was some pushback on a show like Beavis and Butthead because it's so inane. It's ridiculous. There is some element of fun. But, you know, years later, you get something like King of the Hill, which is on a major network, Fox Network, yeah. but that's a direct derivative of Beavis and Butthead. I mean, do you ever, you don't sound like this type of guy, you sound very different than me, but do you ever just pat yourself on the back going, hey, man, you know, people are still quoting Boomhauer as much as you can quote him because King of the Hill was on Fox. King of the Hill is on Fox because I took a chance on Beavis and Butthead. Well, Beavis and Butthead, and listen, I'm not solely responsible for any of this stuff. It was a team effort, you know, of our animation department. Our animation department, when I came into MTV, the short story on Beavis and Butthead, because it's a very pop, it's a popular show for everybody, but um, was that uh, I wanted to do a show like Mystery Science Theater 3000 on Comedy Central, which took old movies and had these robots kind of just voicing over them. Right. So we had a, we, we would, when you're developing a TV show at a network, you come up with a concept and you put it on the schedule and you sort of put title TBD. So we had two guys on a screen title TBD. And okay. so then in my weekly programming meeting, our animation department came in with a short called Frog Baseball with Beavis and Butthead. And it was like a four minute video of Beavis and Butthead playing baseball with a frog. And they played it on, on in the conference room. And within about 30 seconds, we were all going, <laughs> and it just it was so infectious right Jesus. and so doug herzog who um was the uber head of programming and ultimately later ran comedy central and fox tv and other things pointed to the screen and said andy there's our two guys and a screen right there and so it was a collaborative effort um to put that together um but mike judge who created Beavis and butthead and then king of the hill and of course office space mm -hmm. you know and you know, Silicon Valley and all these great things. He's just a genius. Um, so yeah, my, I've yep. been fortunate. Um, and one, I would say one of, I've just loved the work throughout my life. And I've had the opportunity to be part of pop culture and to help to move culture and shape it. And that's very rewarding work. Talking to Andy Schell, then from there, we won't get into all of this resume. Uh, Executive Vice President, General Manager, Warner Brothers Records. Uh, it starts getting humiliating for us the more CBS we go through. CBS Radio, founder, I mean, president, essentially, Chief guys, officer, essentially, Universal. yeah, we can just cut to the chase here and, <laughs> Live. and, and, just, and just call it the way it is. Chief I can't hold down a job. Constantly on the run. President Live no. Nation, uh, yeah, exactly. Head of Loop Media, uh, co-founder mm -hmm. of Revolt Media and TV. What is the lasting memory uh, for you as far as the people, the personalities, your time in Seattle, your time at KISW? What is the thing that really stands out that, that you remember the most from that time? Well, I, I think, I mean, it was the station uh, at the time. And I mean, you know, the, I mean, with all due respect to the entire radio genre, I mean, you know, radio DJs locally were the original influencers before social media. They were often bigger than the bands that would come to town because they were your regular five day a week 
personalities, the celebrities in a town. Radio stations were the only touchstone for people or a rite of passage for young people growing up or wanting information about music. So the, in the importance uh, of, this, of a radio station uh, and the relationship between a station and the listener was so powerful. And KISW was so strong with maybe like a 10 share of which uh, for the audience listening was, was so far and away above all the other stations at the time. And it was a brand that had that, that flaming rock logo that you've had for all these years <laughs> that people would put on every car. And we had the Miss Rock hydroplane and we had, all, the, the brand was so powerful and the disc jockeys there, the personalities, were, were like Steve Slayton was one of the great jocks in American history at night. And there were that it was so pow the station just had this strength and energy. So when I arrived there at 18, it was like being like, you know, like, like the bat boy, you know, at, for the, the Dodgers or something. Right? <laughs> right. And, and I would maybe get a chance to, to, to someday swing the bat, but I, I got, I knew I was so proud to be part of that. I had to work so hard to kind of rise up to the most, to the lowest level of being on the same page with all of these guys. I never had a chance to really get there. It was just such an amazing, powerful team. I always say like, if I'm gonna compare it to football or something, you know, it wasn't the, it wasn't the, the Giants, right? Or, you know, it wasn't, it, it, but it was like the Green Bay Packers. You could win the Super Bowl with KISW. That's how, it was that, it was right. that kind of station respected around the world. Um, and we broke bands um, and, and it, was, it was the foundation for all the success I've had in, in my career was understanding how powerful a brand was and how to respect it and, and, and how to cultivate it. Uh, it's just, so I don't have a, 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 anything more than a memory of a, of a, of a, of a childhood and teen years ending um, at a place as majestic and powerful as KISW. There's or the nothing, big 100 in Seattle, as you yeah, call it in the analog days. There's nothing wrong with that memory. Who were, who were some of the bands that were breaking big at the time that you were at KISW? Said it's around 82. Well, we had, I mean, rock radio and the rock format, I had kind of a, it was kind of going through some strange growing pains at that time that in 1982, 83, because we were trying to fit new wave uh, rock into kind of a tough, coarser kind of, you know, what is today classic rock format. Right. These bands were popular. And they were MTV bands because MTV had come on the scene. So we were trying to figure out how to play these bands that were, or these artists or songs that were popular around Leonard Skinner and ACDC and Zeppelin and Aerosmith and stuff like that. And it didn't really work very well. So um, I would say that, that, you know, that, that it was exciting to see like U2 rising up and the police continuing to grow. Um, and, you know, what's amazing about that time, I tell people now, we were just, I was with my kids. We were listening to my favorite, like 20 Led Zeppelin songs the other day at home. I'm kind of pounding through and sort of going through them. And I was saying, you know, I played some of these songs when they were only three or four years old. I mean, it's hard to believe now, but those were recurrents, as we say in radio. That, and you, you also know, played Mr. Mister. You know, Did you tell them that? <laughs> Did you say, look, I played yeah, Wang Chung? Mr. Mr. Right. Okay. <laughs> or like Bill Phillips used to say, Bill Phillips used to say, men without hits. Oh, you're no friend Damn. of mine. There we <laughs> go. Uh, you know, Come on, Eileen, Dexy's Midnight Runners. You know, some of those could kind of work, but, but I'm mean, going to tell you something. Playing like the that that like Flock of Seagulls, Wishing, or playing like some of the Thompson Twins stuff, and those things, those sounded pretty weird on KISW. However, things like Psychedelic Furs, 
Love My Way and songs like that, they did fit okay. But we played a lot of that stuff that kind of just didn't fit um, and eventually just kind of fell back. And, and then some of those songs went to other stations. I mean, Seattle had a station called KYYX and then it had a station called The End and some of those stations that played some of that stuff exclusively. But KISW returned to dominance by sticking to what it knows, which is Seattle's best rock, I think. Andy Schoen, thank you for spending some time with us on our uh, 50th birthday celebration. It's It's been a, a, an incredible pleasure to talk to you, and congratulations on all your success. I'm not sure what your next job will be, but I'm sure it'll be announced. Can't hold in, one. It'll be announced in six months. So, <laughs> I can't uh, hold one down. Yeah. You know, here's what we do know. We know it'll be sooner than later that I'll have to be looking for another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Andy Schoen, thank you. Well, good luck finding some uh, some uh, some of the bigger heavy hitters at KISW history. Because if you're, I don't know if you're ending or starting with me, but boy, you got some work to do. <laughs> Andy, now that we're off, real okay. quick, I got to ask you a question, just real quick here, because yeah. it says sure. uh, and this is where this is not for you, yeah. but uh, because it says you're an investor and head of music at the Hard Rock Hotel in Las Vegas. Uh, did Richard Branson pay you off yeah. pretty nicely for that? Oh, uh, you mean when the when the hotel was sold? Yeah, to we used to stay there all the time. Yeah, that was our joint. Man. I'm telling you, we dropped more money oh, in there yeah. than anything. So I'm hoping you and got a some little, of it legally. I'm hoping you got a little of that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, I was um, an original part of the Hard Rock. From, it, that started in like 1993, and we sold we sold the Hard Rock to a company called Morgan's Hotel Group, which owns places like the Delano in Miami and the Mondrian in Los Angeles ever been there or the Royalton in New York. So that hotel group bought the Hard Rock in I want to say about 2007. So it was sort of long. It was sort of, by the way, we sold it for 10 times more than Richard Branson bought it for. <laughs> nice. So, um, oh, good. The market really changed yeah. in Las Vegas. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> I was sorry to see it go because it was really, I don't know how long you guys have been going there, but it was for a lot of years a pretty awesome place. It really was, oh, man. man. We, had, we, we always, we always had a great time there. Well, Andy, if you're ever in need for a new Beavis and Butthead, please give us a call. <laughs> Sounds like it. So how long have you guys been on the station? Tell we me how long have you guys been there. 15 years, ma'am. Got here. Yeah, we've, we've been fortunate. We've been number one the entire the time. Afternoons on KISW? Yeah. yeah, so I guess it was it was a big deal when they first hired us. You know, not in our opinion, but, you know, it's a legacy rock station. So our boss had to fight with the brass yeah. a little bit and said, look, these guys are talk. They do not play music. And, and they were kind of like, man. Sounds like a bad idea, and maybe it was, but it's worked out exceptionally well for both sides. For yeah. 15 years, man, we've been doing really well, and it's, yeah. I think it's two songs we, uh, an hour. We, we, but yeah. we convinced them, uh, Andy, to change their philosophy from being a men 2554 radio station to being a people station. And since that point in time, we've been, uh-huh. uh, we've been number one 2554 persons uh, for 15 years, and a half yeah. years. Wow. So we've, we've been on a nice that little streak well, here. Knock on wood. Knock I, on wood. I, I, I do some. I'm doing a, it's, I, I, I sort of reconnect with radio a little bit because um, I'm doing a scripted dramatic series about the history of K-Rock called World Famous for Netflix. Like, a, you know, it's like a 50 episode, 10 episode a season um, series. So I, I, I acquired the intellectual property from K, KROQ so we could do an authentic show. And so I got a little connected to the station again and started talking about radio and all that. And, and I started thinking about terrestrial radio. And I, I think the key to KISW success is just in that, that you guys are doing something that you can't get on Spotify, you know, or on a station at KZOK across town or something. So the fact that they invested in you as personalities, you're offering a kind of, uh, of, uh, of content and entertainment 
that is not um, on you know music. So any radio station that today has to compete with an on-demand service, um, it's really challenging. So you're doing something. I mean, you're really you really fortified the station. So it's really worked. And it's, that's always been our argument. Like just if people are entertained, whatever yeah. it might be, movie, yeah. TV show, then they stick around. And that way, one thing that we always took personally was just the idea that look. We'd rather do talk. So whatever the ratings are, we know if it's us. Not if ACDC put out a good sure. album, but if people are willing to listen to us. And, and not only that, but 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 not to be offensive. Invite everybody to the party. You, you can listen with your kids in your car. You, you can be entertained. And, and we're not just sure. you know, singly. We're not sitting there talking about MMA for three hours. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Or whatever. Andy, hey, thank you so much uh, for your time and uh, and, and all the hey best. Guys, it's nice to talk to you. Yeah. And, uh, and I guess, so you're saying February 12th? Fe- Friday, February 12th, yeah. And then what they'll do from there is... And you're uh, going to do like a, a, a special... What are, you do, what are you doing for it? We're doing a one big day celebration with, with you and everybody else that we get on the air from Crow and West okay. to Bob Rivers to Cameron Crow or... The Wilson sisters, uh-huh. uh, the guys in Allison Chains, uh, they'll Great. they'll do some vignettes and just say, hey, you know, some will be just regular liner stuff. Others will be more in depth, depending sure. on their relationship with the station. I'm trying to get Bill Gates on, you know, the more of the luminaries in town, part That's of the great. community, and and then of course the music end of it. Yeah. Uh, the Joel McHales of the world who have passed through Seattle or have lived here for a while. Anybody who's had a uh-huh. connection, and KISW has been a part of that. We're, we're, we're going to put on that one day. But then from there, yeah, uh, like your interview will be on that day, but then there will be vignettes that play throughout the 50, uh, 50th anniversary celebration. So your interview will be sprinkled in moments as far right. as, you know, looking back at the history of the station. Oh, so great. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be nice. Great. Well, good. Well, it's nice to meet you guys, and yeah. congratulations on all the success. And uh, I'm jealous that you're in, in the Pacific Northwest and at KISW. It's 42 and rainy, Andy. Yeah, don't be <laughs> today. It's 42, and, and it's going to be dark at 410. So <laughs> you're good here. in Beverly Hills. Oh, you're in New York. Okay. <laughs> oh, the snow is oh, coming. Oh, oh man, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's coming your way. All right, brother. Good talking to you. Thanks, Andy. Take care. You've been listening to The Greatest Story Never Told with Miles and Thrill on Radio.com. Oh, man. A Double Flush production.